Well, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, and we are going to start there today. My title is The Fatherhood of God Expressed and Revealed Through the Fatherhood of Dad. Dads are getting a bad rap today. Toxic masculinity. Classes being taught in Ivy League schools about toxic masculinity. Of course, we dare not ever go go to toxic femininity. We dare not go there. But we're not afraid to have full-blown college courses on toxic masculinity. Today we have evil patriarchy. Patriarchs of our country were evil, even some people would like to say. The fathers who founded our nation. We wouldn't say, we wouldn't dare go to evil matriarchy, though. What, why is that? See, there, there's something about fatherhood that is under attack, and there's a reason for that. And I don't even think it's cognitive. I don't think it's intentional. I don't think that people understand when they marginalize masculinity and demonize dadhood. I like making up words as I go, you know. And and there's something about that that it's just demonic. And we we don't really understand it until you put it under a microscope and you measure it up against the Word of God, what exactly is under attack through all this that goes on in the pop culture. So we're going to begin looking at the ultimate fatherhood expressed and revealed through our Heavenly Father. We're going to begin there. We're all over Ephesians. Let's go ahead. If you're at that address, Ephesians 1-2, we're going to go ahead and start. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father. God, immediately Paul recognizes and entitles God our Father. And from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he hooks those two together. Then he goes on to verse 3. And blessed be the God and Father. Now, I want you to notice something. He calls our Heavenly Father God and Father. You know, it isn't like just God is good enough or God is explaining enough. You know, you'd think the term God would be uh, all-inclusive, enough said, don't need any more. But no, he adds God and, I want you to know this, God and Father. This is added in for a reason. Because God doesn't have father-like characteristics We're the ones that have father-like characteristics. He is the father. It is the essence of his being. It's his very nature and character. It's absolutely who he just flat is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, emanating from the Godfather or the Father God... (laughs) And be careful with that Godfather term, but the Father God bless us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. You know, I think it's so important that we understand that spiritual blessings comes from a father. In the patriarchs, when the patriarchs were ready to pass away and the sons gathered round 
It was the Father who spoke the prophetic generational blessing over the children. Wow. You know, the Bible says, you know, that God, you go over into James and it talks about how um, every good and every perfect gift comes down from the mother of lights, oh, excuse me, from the father of lights, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Every good and every perfect gift, make no mistake, comes down from the father of lights, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, it says in Ephesians 1 and 2. But let's read some of those blessings, what they really are, that come from fatherhood. Look at it. And we're going to read, and we're going to pick up there in verse 3. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame and in love. We were chosen by him. Did you know all of us were chosen? All were chosen. How do we know that? You know, I, I'm not of a Calvinistic persuasion. I, I'm unapologetically Arminian. And when I look at that scripture in 1 John, it says, My little children, I write these things unto you that sin not, but if you have... If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation of our sins, and not only of our sins, but the sins of the whole world. The propitiation for sins has been made for everyone. The satisfying of justice has been made for everyone. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, John the Baptist said. He has chosen us. I have a friend. He's a pastor. They've adopted seven children from China, gone over, picked up one, and then two, and then three, I think it was. Is that how they did it? Two, two, and three. And they went over there, and he had to choose those children. And they came with him to America, and he literally, you know, if they were being held hostage by a couple of drug dealers, human trafficker thugs, it wouldn't be a whole lot different than being in a Chinese adoption agency. It's not pretty over there. And he says, and having predestined us unto the adoption of children, did you know that he and his wife bought things, prepared things, created rooms and spaces in their home? And they predestined. They had a destiny plan for these kids. They, they had enrollment in school. They had some things they had to do because of special needs in school. There was a predestination into that room, into that school, into this church, into these activities that were being taken care of long before they ever went and, ch and chose out those children to bring them home. And this was done by a father according as he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy without blame and before him in love. He had a plan for them to be trained and discipled and to be born again and filled with the Spirit and given direction and all that they need to know how to live. You know, it says that God, according as his divine power, 
has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in this world through last 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. He did that. He chose them out. And they wouldn't have to deal with the corruption that took place in that place where they were living. What, is it, what are they called, the places where they have chil- abandoned children? Orphanage. That, that orphanage, yeah, that's the word I was trying to think of. It goes on, it says this. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted. He made them American citizens. He made them beautiful with new clothes and proper hygiene. Beautiful adornment. He put him into his beautiful house. A mother, his beautiful wife, became their mother. He did all those things. He made them accepted. He brought them to church each time that they brought those new adoptees home from China. They came to church, and they had a welcoming party by several hundred people standing up and cheering for them and giving them gifts. And that's just, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much does your heavenly Father want to give good things to them that ask him? Matthew 7, 11. And I think if a father can be this good, and, and, and our father is saying all these things, he's made us accepted. He's taken away our sins. In whom we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. They abounded all the way towards them. They went all the way to China to get these kids. Wow. Cost a lot of money. Took a lot of time. And mountains and miles of papers, piles of paperwork. And then it says having made known unto us the mystery of his will. And he told those children what their future was going to be in this new home in America where this godly pastor and his lovely family and this beautiful church, what their future would be like. According to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him, in whom we have obtained an inheritance. And these children will have an inheritance. Joined right in with his kids. All things in Christ, both which are in heaven and in earth, even in him, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, that we should be to the praise of the glory of who first trusted in Christ. So that talks about the fatherhood of God. How many of you would say God is a good God? And he puts it all in the context of a father adopting us as children. He talks about being accepted into the beloved. God and father of our Lord Jesus. He contextualizes it in the scenario of a father taking in his children. Now today, I do that because I want to juxtapose against the pop culture treatment of fatherhood. If you would play that DVD, Jacob, I want to contrast 
delineate between the fatherhood of God that resides in every father and what Satan is trying to do to it. I live with a bunch of animals. My kids are pigs. And my husband is a... Uh... <laughs> yes! <laughs> Uh, you missed a spot. <laughs> uh. hmm, it works. I got that job at the demolition company. What do they do? Dynamite, blasting caps, that sort of thing. Oh, that smells bad. do its thing so he can do more oven pride so easy a man can do it isn't that typical one guy working and the rest just standing around yeah, it's a wonder anything gets done never cut it in the corporate world mm -mm. i got it's it blackberry that flips closed so no more butt dialing yay yay <laughs> you don't understand i have an mba oh you have an mba in that case i'll have to show you how to do it Extra bacon, no lettuce, no tomato. That's me. Could have had a V8. I finally figured out what car to get. Now, where to find the best deal? You know, why don't I help? What's that? Car gurus. Color? Silver. Car gurus? Low miles, two grand below market value, five-star dealer rating. Ooh, I'm beat. Do it your way, then. Remember when you said men are superior drivers? Yeah. Yeah. Then how do I get this... Allstate safe driving bonus check. So weird, right? My agent, Tom, said... Only Allstate sends you a bonus check for every six months you're accident-free. But I'm a woman. Maybe it's a misprint. Does it look like a misprint? Silence. 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 According to pop culture, fatherhood, mass men, it's buffoonery. It's like, you're a knothead. You're a moron. That is an attack not on men. It's an attack on the Father God inadvertently, indirectly, and very much by demonic forces. How many of you would agree with that this morning? Amen. There's something afoot that's not real obvious to all, but is very clear to those who are spiritually minded, that there's an attack on the concept of fatherhood. I believe this because it's, it's so out of context. It's so out of proportion. And why is there an attack on males? And only males, because only males can be fathers or potential future fathers. They want, they want to make the man look like a fool even before he becomes a father, while he's a father, and if anyone has, is going to be a father. How, how many of you believe that? Let's turn to Proverbs 17.6, and I'll tell you why Satan wants to do that. Satan wants to destroy an avenue of blessing for our lives. You know, lots of times I'll preach to the men, you know, man up. These are the, the things that makes a great father. I go to Genesis, and I talk about how the work ethic of our father was revealed in six days of work and one day of rest. 
the givingness of our Father who gave us a perfect uh, world and that he's a great giver, the, the one who redeems us and forgives us, Father. And, and I've done that, and a lot of times what we like to do is we like to give men things to help them be a better father, but today is a different sermon. Today is a sermon on how we need to honor the office of fatherhood, whether it's God, whether it's the spiritual father in our lives, or whether it's our biological dad. Can I get an amen from somebody? Proverbs 17, 6 says this. It says, children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. There's something about a father. A baby at, I think they say, six or eight months can distinguish between the mother and the father and relates differently to that stronger voice in a different way. This is what scientists tell us, people who do research. But the glory of children are, excuse me, their fathers, and Satan hates that. Satan hates the fatherhood of God, because he lost out. He was created the most beautiful angel. He had a third of the angels underneath him. He had a direct line. He was the covering cherub, it says in Ezekiel, to God. And then because he was filled with pride and the multitude of his merchandise and the multitude of his trafficking, the Bible says in Ezekiel, that he fell when he said, I will become and I will exalt and I'll sit on the throne and I'll be like God. And he... He was all full of himself, and he was destroyed. And he can't stand to see that God created a family, not just a race of angels, but God created a family in his own image that he is a father to, and Satan absolutely hates it. He's jealous. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy that, that fatherhood relationship, and he knows that when the fatherhood relationship is broken that our relationship goes from blessed to cursed. Turn with me to Malachi, the fourth chapter. We're going to look at verses 4 and 5, and we're going to see why Satan wants to tear up father relationships with children. In, in every context, he wants to ruin fatherhood relationships. Look, it says in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful, dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers. Everybody say Fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The father-child relationship determines if one is cursed or blessed. We all know the statistic that over 90, right upwards of 90% of the men that are in prison today were raised in a household where there was no father. We also know from science that there's a propensity towards homosexuality goes up astronomically when there's not a father in the house. Why? Because when, mass, when leadership looks like a female, then the little boy who wants to be a leader will pattern after female traits unknowingly and unconsciously. You see, there's something about the father office being in place brings balance and it brings uh, the right things that God wants. And when children don't honor their father growing up, they will learn to dishonor their heavenly father unknowingly, unconsciously, when they become adults. 
You see, we get a trial run. We get to practice. We get to have kind of a foretaste of honoring God the Father by honoring our natural fathers. Turn, turn with me to Malachi again, only we're going to the first chapter, and we're going to look at something as God speaks to the priests of the day of Malachi uh, through the prophet Malachi. And he says in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, it says, "...the son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest that despise my name?" And you say, wherein have we despised thy name? And he goes into verse 7 by saying, you have offered polluted bread upon my altar. In other words, they didn't give their best. And you say, wherein have we polluted thee in that you say the table of the Lord is contemptible? And you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? If you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now towards your governor. Will he be pleased with thee and accept thy person? In other words, give your sick animals to him when you go to pay taxes and see if he'll receive them. In other words, you treat the governor better than you treat your God. And he, and he goes through this, and he says, And now I pray you, I beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This has been by your means, I will, regard, will I regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts. Then he goes on and he talks about, in the last verse, and it says that they would even be cursed because of this lack of honor. Well, today I want to, Really, that's more of a preface up to this point. I want to talk about Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Go ahead and turn there quickly, and we're going to look at a verse of Scripture there that tells us that when we honor our mother and our father, that something takes place, something gets released, something happens that really is a supernatural dynamic that we're called to live by. And we learn this growing up by exercising it with our parents, so that we can be blessed in this life, but to prepare us to honor the Father in the next life, and even in our Christian life. I'll read it. And it says here in Ephesians 6, and we'll begin in verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise. Now, as I look at that, it's the first commandment with a promise. You could say the first dynamic with a positive consequence. Or the first principle with a reward. And I believe this is for us to be blessed, but also to train us to honor God. And I believe this, that when we honor our father, we really honor our mother. You can't honor uh, the father without honoring your mother. I'll tell you what, it's, it's the truth. Uh, if, if my children begin to dishonor Julie, they got in more trouble than if they dishonored me. Can anybody relate to that? You, you can dishonor me too, but... Brother, you don't dishonor my wife unless you want to fight. There's going to be trouble if you try to do something like that. And so there's something very powerful about that. A mother and a father are the first authority figures in our life. Mom is a picture of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know when God told Adam that he was going to prepare a helpmate for him, that that same Hebrew word, when you take it over into the Greek... It's the same word that describes the Holy Spirit as the helper or the paraclete in the Greek. When we understand that the support role of a mother and a wife to a husband is a reflective principle of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he's called the spirit of truth. He's called the teacher. 
He's our advocate, our intercessor, our standby, our strengthener, our comforter, our counselor. I could go on and on describing the Holy Spirit's attributes of support towards the Father. And you would, if you looked at a mother and you saw these things as a helpmate, as a helper, as one who describes what the relationship should be to the Father, which the Holy Spirit does do that, we would begin to understand how important motherhood is, how important fatherhood is, how important the Father knowing Him is by knowing the Holy Spirit. And there wouldn't be any, how can I say this, this jealousy and this, this small-minded bickering of, you know, egalitarianism and who's, who's the leader and who, who isn't and, and being bothered by the man being the head and, and the ma- and woman was created for the man and the man was not created for the woman and the woman came from the man and the man did not come from the woman, as Paul said. We, we wouldn't be bickering over that. We would see both offices in a high and dignified and virtuous context. Nobody would be insecure about who they are if they understood what God's call on that office really is. We would both be proud to be our gender and not be confused about it like the devil is trying to do today. So it says that when we honor mother and father, mother and father are one. When I honor my father, I'm honoring my mother. When I'm honoring my mother, I am honoring my father. When I honor the Lord Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit directs all worship to Jesus and to the father, then I'm not honoring Jesus without honoring the father, and I'm not honoring the father without honoring Jesus or the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? It's all one package. So, you know, we have Mother's Day and we have Father's Day and we talk about honoring mothers and we talk about honoring fathers, but it just so happens today is Father's Day. So we're going to emphasize the male part. But honoring that father is a very powerful thing. And it says that there's a, excuse me, a consequence. And it says this, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. One translation just says that you might prosper and live long. How many of you want to prosper and live long? If you're psychologically well-adjusted, you should want to do both of those things. (laughs) Unless you've got something severely wrong with your thinking. Of course we do. And it says honor and obey, and I found this to be true. What you honor, you will obey. And what you obey, you inadvertently always honor. Somebody say amen. It's an honor to be obeyed by somebody. That, that's a, a subtle, you know, they say that being a copycat is a subtle form of flattery. When you obey someone, it's an act of honoring them. So those two things go together. You can't separate them. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 2.30. Because when we understand that God is a God who operates through honor, through a system of honor. He wants us to honor and be honored. He says, give honor to all men, to each who it is uh, due unto. But I like this because directly honoring God is one thing, but we honor God by honoring who he says to honor. So I think it's important that we understand that we always honor what God says to honor. And I'm going to read the King James. It really doesn't get to the second half of the verse where I want you to look. Is it warm in here? Do we need to crank up the AC a little bit? Okay. 
Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, be it far from me, for them that honor me, I will honor. We say, well, I honor God. I don't pay any attention to the speed limit in that knucklehead police officer. And I, I, don't, I don't care what that pastor says. I don't agree with him. And my dad never, I never really thought I had to obey him. You are not honoring God until you're honoring those who he says to honor. Somebody say amen. But it says, for them that honor me, I will honor and they that despise me, I will lightly esteem. Now, God doesn't say he'll dishonor you or hate you or anything. But I don't want to be lightly esteemed by God. I want to be honored by God. How about you? It says, humble yourself and he will exalt you. Humble yourself to honor him. Humble yourself to honor the civil authorities. Humble yourself to honor the spiritual authorities. Humble yourself to honor the familial or the family authorities. Humble yourself and you will be exalted. He will honor you. And you know, we want to honor ourselves. How many of you know trying to honor yourself and exalt yourself is a big mistake with God? Those who, who exalt themselves and the proud, uh, they, they, they will, the humble will receive more grace, but the proud will be humbled and the humble will be exalted. So we've got to learn that there's something about when we honor someone else, we sow it. And be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. We will sow honor, and we will reap honor in this life, the Bible says. Amen. Well, I, I want to look at something. The first thing that Satan did with Adam and Eve, it was a double dishonor to two father figures. The first thing that Satan wanted to do was to stop God's honor from being instilled into Adam and Eve. I'm going to turn to Genesis 3. You can go there with me if you'd like. But Genesis 3 says this. We all know that God created the garden. He put Adam in it. He commanded Adam to not eat of the, gar of the tree. He said, all these trees you can eat of, but don't eat of this tree. And then all of a sudden we come and we see that Eve is created for Adam, taken out of him, out of his rib. She's the perfect, she's the princess of paradise. He's got the plan of paradise. He's got the provision of paradise. He's got the parameters. Don't eat of the tree. That's the parameter. He's got the parameters of paradise. He's got the plan of paradise. Be fruitful. Subdue. Take dominion. That's the plan of paradise. The princess of paradise. Everything's going good. How many of you know it doesn't get any better than all of that? God is good, and everything he made was good. And then all of a sudden, the Father God, who's blessed Adam and Eve with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that every good and every perfect gift that came down from the Father of lights, in whom there was no variableness nor shadow of turning, that in every way they were prosperous, blessed, had a perfect relationship with each other, had a perfect spouse, had a perfect life, and a perfect wife, and a perfect everything, Satan comes along. And the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, and the Lord God, the Lord God had met, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, you know, all you got to do, you stop right there and say, that's disrespectful. 
when you question the veracity, integrity, and character of Almighty God who created all things, and he says, yea, God has said. In other words, oh, did God really say that you can't eat of the fruit? I, could just, I can just hear his smart aleck tone, can't you? You know, just like the guy who, who's got a young, little, beautiful virgin daughter, the daddy says, don't do this, or you, you, know, you don't get into a situation where you could fall into sexual sin, and don't do these things, because it'll destroy you, and please don't ever do that. And I can just hear the smart-out voice of some young punk come along and say, did your dad really tell you that? Well, let me make you really happy, baby. That's, that's, that's the tone and the feel that I get from, oh, God said that, really? Well, listen to somebody who's really smart here. He says, in the day that you eat there, if you won't die, you'll be as gods. The problem with that stupid statement is this. He'd already made Adam and Eve in his image. Can I get an amen? He was lying to them about their identity. He was lying to them about the word. And faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And God had given them the word, and they had faith, and he came in with fear, and he undermined their faith, and he made God not look like a good God. He attacked the fatherhood, the goodness, the provision, the integrity, the veracity, the character of Almighty God, who was their father in the Garden of Eden. He attacked that. Kind of like what I saw, the attack that took place on this twisted a bunch of videos of popular advertisements today. And sure enough, they began to question the fatherhood and the goodness of God. See, Satan knows that Malachi 4 or 5 says, if the hearts of the children are turned against the father, and if they're not returned back to the father and the father's heart returned back to them, they'll be smitten with a curse. And you know what? Their hearts went two different directions, and Adam and Eve were cursed from that day on. That principle applies to the Garden of Eden. See, the word father is the word patter. Patter is where we get the word paternity. Patter is the word where we get patriarch. That word patter means nourisher. Father means nourisher. It means upholder. It means uphold you. God upholds us. And it means protector. That word patter has a lot of things in it. And, and Satan wants to separate us from our patter, our nurture, our protector, our upholder. He wants to separate us from our heavenly father, our spiritual father, our biological fathers. Uh, any father figure in our life, Satan likes to drive a wedge between us and that. It's okay to say amen in this church, you know. How did Satan separate Adam and Eve from their God? By mocking, dishonoring the inherent authority of the office of their father. I believe this. This is why we've been given in a practice run. We get 70, 80 years to really practice honoring our mother and fathers. And then we get to practice what it feels like to prosper and live long as a relationship, as a, excuse me, from the relationship as a result. There's something about when I have honored my dad in this life, and I kid you not, the times that I have honored my father 
I have always been blessed. I can remember working with him on the farm, and if there were times where I went against what he said, everything that I tried to do that I thought was a better idea than my dad's. It's amazing how stupid you are in your 20s. And how all of a sudden you get a lot, your parents get way smarter when you hit about 30 and 40 years old and you have kids of your own. I can remember trying to do things a certain way and it would fail every time. But when I obeyed my dad, can anybody relate to this? But when I obeyed my dad, it's like it went like clockwork. You know, it, it, it took me a while, but I just quit trying to figure it out on my own. And I just decided to start listening to that 50 years of experience that I didn't have. And that love of a dad who only wanted the best for me and wanted me to forego all the trial and error and mishap and learning the hard way and just go straight to the right answer that a father with much experience can give to us. And, you know, as I learned that, I realized this is the system of God. This is how God has set it up. Because nobody loves you more than your father unless there's a terrible dysfunction that's entered in and taken your lives off course. But when we honor, we will live long and we will be blessed. Now, I want to look at a couple of things here. We can't, we can't be blessed if we don't honor the Father and his ordained Father figures. John 14, 9. Sometimes we think, uh, you know, Jesus and the Father are different. You know, Jesus is this really merciful guy. Jesus is this very relatable guy. Jesus is this earthly guy. Maybe the Father's kind of this Old Testament, Ten Commandment, meaner, older-looking guy. Any of you meet people that kind of think that way? But Jesus said this, and I love this scripture. He said, Philip, have I been so long with you? Do you not know that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father? Did you know that it says in Hebrews 1 verse 3 that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. How many of you know the Bible says that? He's the exact. There is no deviating. There is no difference from the figure that stands in the mirror and the figure that's reflected in the mirror. He is the image of the invisible God, it says in Colossians. Jesus is the reflection of the Father. If, if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. We've seen the Father's Words, will, and works. In John 12, 49, Jesus said, I did not come to give you my words, but these are the words of the Father. As a matter of fact, let's just turn to John. We'll just read them quickly. Turn to John 12. And we're going to look. We're talking about fathers today. And then we're going to come all the way and circle back how this applies to us as fathers. You're saying, you're getting way out there, Pastor Bill, talking about Father God. But let me tell you something. It applies to us today in the world that we live in. John 12 and 49. I'll read it. And it says, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me the commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. Now John 6, 38, that's he had God's 
the Father's words. He has the Father's will in John 6, 38 and 39. We're going to read that very quickly too. And it says this, For I come down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me, and this is the Father's will which hath sent me. So he's doing the Father's will. John 14, it's all in the book of John we see these things. John 14, we're going to go to verse 10, the second half. John 14, in verse 10, and I'm going to read this again. He says, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Jesus came with the Father's words, the Father's will, and the Father's works. And he said, the way that you receive me, the Father, excuse me, is the way that you receive me. John 10, 40, I won't go there. And Jesus said, if you receive me, you receive the Father. John 5.23, he says that he that honoreth not me, honoreth not the Father that sent me. And when we go to Mark 6, verses 1 through 5, and we'll go there and we'll read that too, and then we'll be done. We can see that where there's dishonor, there's an inability for a father to bless. Jesus came with the Father's words. He says, the words I'm speaking aren't from me. They're from the Father. Jesus said, the works that I do, they're not of me. They're from the Father. The will that I come to carry out is not my will, but his will that's being done. He's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was saying, I am the image of the invisible God. He was saying, I am the exact representation of the Father. And when you reject me, you're rejecting him. Let's, let's go there quickly uh, to Mark, the sixth chapter. We all know this verse. Because Jesus went into his own hometown, and maybe I'll just shorten it up and, and paraphrase it. And he said that the people talked to him like this. Well, you're just the son of Mary, aren't you? You're that carpenter's boy over there. How can you be doing all these magnificent and wonderful works? And they tried to bring him down. They didn't want to honor him as the prophet that he was. And Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor. Everybody say, without honor, except in his own hometown. See, here, here was the words of God, the will of God, Wow. The words, the work, the will, the image of God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Here is the Father being displayed in works, in will, in words, in supernatural things. The Father is being displayed, and they won't honor Jesus. And he said, he could do no mighty works there. Wow. Mark 6, 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. But in verse 5, it says, he could do there no mighty work, save that he laid hands on a few sick folk and healed them. He couldn't do anything mighty there. I'm going to tell you something. Children, wives, sons with your fathers, your father will never be able to do the mighty works that belong to his office in your life to be that pater, 
that father, that nurturer, that protector, that upholder in your life if you don't give honor to the office that he stands in. Because this is a trial run. This is a miniature here on earth in the here and now parallel typology trial that if we will honor our fathers, which includes our mothers because they're one, we will be blessed and prosper and we'll live long on the earth. And that is to get into our hearts a message that if we can have our life prospered and prolonged through just honoring our natural father, if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our own children, how much more does your heavenly father want to give good things to them that ask for it? And the way that we tap into that honor... uh, Sons, you're going to have to honor your dads. And you think maybe your dad isn't as good as the dad that lives down the street. You think that maybe, he, well, maybe down the street that dad gets more honor in his house. Maybe what, that's why that dad seems to be a better father, more happy, and able to uh, do better in life. And because when he's honored, just like when Jesus was honored, his gift worked. His fatherhood gift. And when Jesus gets honored, he can go in, and it says there are places where everyone was healed, where people were brought back to life, where he could walk on the water, where he could do signs and wonders and miracles, and was approved of God, it says in Acts 2. And Jesus, but even if Jesus, who was the very picture of the Father, he was the walking manifestation of fatherhood, the Father, God the Father, if he could be stopped, as a prophet is not without honor in his own time, if he can be stopped by a lack of honor, if Jesus Christ can be stopped in his fatherhood blessings on people because of a lack of honor, how much more does a father in the local household of a biological family get stopped when he's not honored? Because, boy, if Jesus can be stopped with dishonoring, I know I probably can be stopped by someone dishonoring. You take away all, how can I say, confidence. You take away all faith. You take away, when you reduce that person, you reduce the office and you reduce the ability to draw on that office and receive blessings by God through that fatherhood figure. Somebody say amen. Yes, we honor dads on this day. We're not honoring individual personalities because how many you know they all fall short every dad in this room falls short every mom in this room falls short every kid in this room falls short every person on planet earth falls short but the office that we stand in has a power that if you'll tap into it and you'll understand how it works which is by honor to open up the capacity and the ability to be like God and Christ-like in fatherhood, and it takes those of the household to honor that office that dad stands in.